Welcome to the Groundbreaking Guide to Third-Party and Supply Chain Risk Management, How Exeger's Trades Framework Revolutionizes Third-Party Risk Management and Supply Chain Risk Management in 2021 and Beyond. In this special six-part podcast series sponsored by Exeger on the Trades Framework, we will look at how the Trades Framework is a cutting-edge but actionable blueprint to build a modern third-party and supply chain risk management program. Over the next six episodes, I will be speaking with Exeter's experts as we go through each layer of the trades framework at the tactical, program, and strategic levels. We will put a spotlight on transparency into your current state with Skylar Chai and Tim Stone, discuss risk methodology with Teresa Cambabasso and Matt Hayden, assess current risks with Laura Tolchin and Peter Jackson, determine mitigations with Carrie Wibben and Aaron Narva, evaluate the trades framework uplift with Brandon Daniels and Josh Teal, and end with Brandon Daniels and Erica Peters, who will give a review of supplier monitoring and close out with how government and critical industries are leading the charge using the trades framework to outpace threats and vulnerabilities while minimizing third-party risk management gaps. In this episode five, we look at evaluating framework uplift with Brandon Daniels, President Global Markets, and Josh Steele, Executive Intern at Exeger. In this episode, we consider Evaluate Framework Uplift. Brandon, what does this uh, phrase mean and how does it relate to the other letters in the trades framework? Yeah, Tom, and, and thank you for spending so much time with us on the, on the trades framework. It's an important evolution in a rapidly evolving ecosystem of third-party and supply chain risk management. You know, we, we began this journey looking for best practices around third party and supply chain risk management ourselves, looking for the core steps that have to be taken in order to appropriately manage your third party risk. And that could be distributor risk, that could be vendor risk, that could be your supply chain risk. And this, the, the urgency of establishing best practices was really felt as we dealt with the constraints of COVID and trying to secure the vaccines and PPE and pharmaceuticals that were needed. Um, and the urgency also came about as we saw the German Supply Chain Act starting to gain momentum, as we saw some of the modern slavery issues that were talked about before that are really taking root in Australia and are part of the sort of ESG revolution, um, we were looking for a framework ourselves, right? And when we realized that there wasn't a consistent framework that addressed both operational issues as well as security and sort of compliance risk management issues, in the third party and supply chain risk management space, we realized we had to take that first step, right? We had to do the Indiana Jones and trust that there was 
a walkway over that chasm. <laughs> and what we realized was that, you know, we had to go back to basics. And those basics included the three lines of defense, right? And that's what you've heard in the T, the R, the A, and the D that have come before us, right? You've heard about how you, as a first line of defense, right, um, as a business, um, as a business function, as maybe a compliance function working with the business as a sort of middle office, right, build transparency into your supply chain. And that's good for business dynamics, but that's good for compliance dynamics too. And, and as we know, good compliance is good business, right? And so when you think about the, the, the journey you've been through across the T, the R, the A, and the D, you know, transparency and then your risk methodology sort of linking to your strategic objectives, as um, Teresa mentioned, is really a, uh, again, a critical first line of defense function. And then you get into the second line of defense, right? That's where you assess your priorities and you ensure mitigation of risk. And that's where the first and the second line start to bleed together. But Again, going back to basics, what we realized is, you know, the only way that you can achieve new levels in risk management and compliance maturity, the only way that you can know that what you've done in your T, R, A, and D are effective is to have that third line of defense. And that's what evaluate framework uplift means. It means that you are taking the efficacy of the prior four parts of this process and you are assessing them from an independent and objective perspective, right? Do you actually have the right vendors? Do you have the data associated with those vendors to support your risk assessment? Are you biasing your risk assessment in any way by having insufficient data inputs, right? Have those check and challenge functions that should be in disruption mitigation been effective? Have you really truly got accountable stakeholders or do you have compliance kind of carrying the water for the business, right? Um, these are critical questions that everyone needs to ask as they assess the impact that the T, the R, the A, and the D has made to their organization, and especially the D, right? Evaluating your framework uplift means you have both assessed uh, from, a, from an audit and assurance perspective the, uh, the impact of the mitigations, the adherence to the mitigations, um, and... Uh, your risk acceptance, right? Did you accept the right risks? Were those risks tolerable? Were they aligned to your strategic objectives established in the R, right? Do you have governance that is continuously seeing or understanding whether or not that risk tolerance has been um, adhered to uh, as you would have established in the T, right? So the evaluate the framework uplift is that critical part of the 
um, risk management function or process that says, have we achieved an initial goal? And that is also, this is the stage at which the maturity model really comes to life um, in the trades framework, right? Because it's at the point in which you determine whether or not your mitigations and your risk acceptance have met your strategic objectives, have actually helped you to defer, mitigate risk, right? That you get to move up a level in your maturity and say, okay, I, I understand my tier one. I understand the risks in my tier one. I really mitigated then. I'm moving to an awakened or a progressive posture, right? And so the E is really, it's that reflective moment. Um, and it's, it's in the uh, COSO internal uh, controls framework. It's in Pris, uh, Prisma. Uh, that helps you to understand I, IT risk management, right? It's in all of these sort of frameworks that have come before us that have established um, how you manage risk um, effectively. And I know, you know, Josh, you know, from the field, right? From, you know, literally the heat of battle, understanding whether or not your plans have gone uh, to plan or they have gone astray is critical, right? And so, you know, I'd, I'd love if, um, unless Tom, you, you've got a, a critical point you want Josh to touch on. I'd love Josh to sort of speak to what evaluate the framework uplift means from an operational perspective. Josh? Yeah, Brennan. Brennan, thanks so much. Um, and Tom, thanks for having us on today. So, uh, the, the best word that I've got that I could take away from Brennan's, uh, um, summary there is that it's the basics and every great organization has to come back to evaluations. Uh, those are periodic based on a variety of reasons, right? It could be at the end of a, a operation or a mission. It could be at the end of a cycle, a business cycle. And a lot of the things that are in the environment really dictate how often we come back to the evaluation specifically at the strategic level, right? So regulatory regime, geopolitical landscape changes, crisis like COVID, supplier network massive changes, uh, or even evolving threats uh, as we've seen colonial pipelines um, and the ransomware attacks become so prevalent. Maybe we need to go reassess how often we're doing our evaluations or do an emergency evaluation um, from both the strategic level for governance and down to the program and tactical levels as well. So uh, evaluations is the basics, and it's really the end of a cycle. It's the end of that TRNA, as Brandon brought up, and the D, but it also is the start of the next phase. You use some of it to inform the next level, and specifically at the strategic level, it's the governance, right? Um, the strategic leaders, the senior leaders, establish the government governance, establish the policies, the expectations. Um, they've allocated their resources. They understand the cost and they go and see if they've got a return on the dollar at this period in time. Because ultimately the goal is to reduce the risk of the organization. That's what the strategic leaders are assessing uh, in the E portion. 
Um, while the uh, while some of the risks are, are intangible, right, reputational, uh, really hard to measure, oftentimes the savings uh, impact from Scrim is very, very direct and clear, and it's easy for the senior leaders to, to, to quantify. A perfect example of that is uh, DOD made an evaluation that the DDIQ vendor screening that we implemented during COVID saved the U.S. government $500 million of fraudulent procurement uh, as the nation scrambled to purchase anything that might save lives in the battle of COVID. It's a perfect example of how vendors were bidding in this frenzy, um, but were effectively screened out based on their uh, actual ability to deliver. Uh, that was important feedback for those senior leaders as they decided uh, in the next phase to go ahead and adopt some sort of um, um, scrim software, and it was specifically a DDIQ based on its performance. So at the strategic level, uh, you know that's the that's the focus of the strategic leaders and the governance, and come back and see what has actually worked. Tom, Josh, um, it sounds like that there are actually multiple levels. If I could dive into just for a moment, you talked about the strategic level and the information received from the ongoing monitoring and ongoing evaluations. But it also strikes me that that information that you provide through the ongoing monitoring works at the tactical level as well. Would that be a correct assessment? Yeah, Tom. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I, I think that your tactical outcomes, I think, although $500 million of um, of uh, and this was a this was a DoD uh, coded statistic, by the way, Tom. You know, five hundred million dollars is is the sum of a number of different tactical decisions in terms of risk management and risk tolerance and um, and essentially willingness to mitigate risks on a day to day basis, right? So. It is always that when you're evaluating your framework, when you're assessing the, um, the ability of the program that you've implemented to both achieve operational efficiency and risk management gains, that you have to look at the technical and tactical efficiency that you've achieved on the ground level. And there's also a tactical level of evaluating the framework, which is that you need to have those policies, procedures, um, artifacts that demonstrate what good looks like uh, in terms of metrics, SLAs and KPIs, that you can determine whether or not, you know, maybe $500 million was a great number, or maybe it could have been a billion, right? Or maybe in, you know, an individual program, um, you know, seeing less than four or five days of delay in your um, product to market uh, uh, timelines, right, is a great outcome in the context of COVID, but maybe it's not a great outcome in the context of uh, a vibrant market without, you know, any big logistical constraints, right? And so... Um, the, the, the tactical level of evaluating your framework uplift is essentially looking at 
the individual mitigations that were put in place, the individual outcomes that were put in place, and then having clear and distinct both business and risk management metrics that are contextually bound and that help you to understand the efficacy of the program. So there is, there is a tactical level here that has to marry with the strategic and sort of your program or business unit level to make sure that um, what you're seeing at the point at which you're conducting that audit and assurance of the efficacy of the rest of the program actually went back to, as Josh meant at the beginning, and understood whether or not the, the, the individual metrics that you were achieving helped you to achieve that some goal that you wanted, or if there were, you know, flaws in the program that uh, should be continuously improved over time. I mean, I think that's one of the things that, that independent reviews and audit and assurance always get a bad rap for is they're identifying where you can improve. That's a great thing, right? And that's another thing about the E is that it's not just about reflection on the bad. It's also an opportunity to, to have that third-party perspective on where the good can come from. Hey, Brandon, the only thing I, I would add to uh, that Josh, um, is, um, is one of the ways I like to think about it, and, and Brandon, the tying it to the KPIs is absolutely essential. I also love the, the program and what you can do with, with some of the software. And really, it allows us to get after what I break into the quantitative and the qualitative analysis. And fortunately, um, the data collection from the DDIQ platform allows you to easily run yourself, easily run your e vendor ecosystem in the TNR phases. So you've got these baseline great statistics, hard statistics of what your risks are. And then after your uh, mitigation plans are implemented, you can go back and rerun yourself with the same models, same dashboards, and really be honest with yourself if your risk truly came down. Uh, the interactive nature of them will really allows you to deep dive into, okay, that specific thing didn't go down. Let's drill in and see where the risks still exist. And that's where you get into that qualitative section. And, you know, qu the quantitative just isn't enough alone. The qualitative information uh, is critical to answer the why. It's critical to inform the next, the next plan. Why did the plan decrease or increase my risk? And uh, a lot of techniques for this are questionnaires for third parties, um, internal stakeholder questionnaires, uh, asking your transportation partners, downstream clients information. Uh, they can be web-based or they can just be, um, you know, phone calls for those data points that really inform uh, the, the effectiveness of your plan and then inform the next set of plans that you need to, that you need to take. And those macro statistics um, are, are extremely important, but then it allows you to deep dive into the, into the level that you need to actually make the new plan. And that's the, the, the devil's really in the details at that point. Uh, a perfect example of that, and arguably one of the most critical, is looking at your new vendor population, for example. If you look at your new vendor population and it reveals that you've got a bunch of risk coming in, uh, that's an indication that you didn't effectively implement uh, the systems, the protocols in place to set up your vendor population for not bringing in new risk because the best way to stop or decrease your risk in organization is to ensure you screen it out so you don't bring it in in the first place. And that's just one example of how you can dive into the details, the micro details and the data to really inform uh, evaluation and next set of mitigation plans. 
Uh, gentlemen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I greatly look forward to continuing the conversation. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you will join us for our next episode, which is our concluding episode, where I have back Brandon Daniels, and we're also joined by Erica Peters. We're going to take up supply chain monitoring and have some concluding thoughts on this podcast series. This special six-part podcast series on Exeger's Trades Framework has been a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you want more information on the Trades Framework, check out the show notes where I link to it.